Hello, my name is Dave Nichols and I'm a Professor of Critical Physiotherapy at AUT University in Auckland, New Zealand. And this is a guided reflection for the 2022 In Beta Unconference and the title of the talk is Post-Professionalism in Healthcare. Now, one of the things that has fascinated me for most of my academic career is the cultural history of the physiotherapy profession. I think one of the things that's a bit unusual about the research that I do is it asks the question about how physiotherapy got here. I'm fascinated by the profession's history and its culture and how it arrived at this point in its history and why it faces the tensions and the problems and the challenges it does today, but also where it might be going. I'm also interested in how this shapes the way we think and practice. Now, for some reasons, there's hardly any other physiotherapists interested in this topic, and it feels like a vast untapped area to me, like a gift, a, a hidden gem waiting to be discovered. There are so many things to explore around and in physiotherapy that other professions do all the time, medicine, nursing, psychology, dentistry particularly. But physiotherapists don't seem to do that. They don't seem to look at the questions about their culture and their history and where the profession might have come from and where it might be going. And the question that to me underpins all of the research that I do comes from a real hero of mine, Michel Foucault, and he would ask, why this and why now? And because we've never really studied this question, there seems a lot of things unanswered in physiotherapy. Now, we don't need to ask those questions, you could argue, when things are going along fine, when physiotherapy is well-funded, when it's really popular with students and it attracts a lot of people to its courses, when it's meeting all the government's mandates, when it's got strong alliances with professions like medicine and patients are just queuing up in hospitals and clinics to see us. When things are fine, then maybe we don't need to ask questions about where physio comes from and where it might be going, because it's doing fine. But what happens when the winds change, when things do become problematic? What happens when things aren't working so much in our favour? Then, of course, we start asking questions and we start seeing changes within the profession that seem to suggest that people are thinking about this stuff and working through solutions. But in our case, they're often not done in a very strongly theoretical way. They're not theoretically underpinned. And so much like a person throws up a building because... Um, they run out of space in the house but they don't get any architect to work on it or they don't think about the landscape or they don't think about the design. It looks a bit like that in physiotherapy sometimes. We tend to throw buildings up and uh, think and then test on our feet. Physiotherapists are supposedly very practical people although I'm suspicious of that idea because it implies that they're not thinkers too and I think they are. But I think the issue is that often the changes that we make are untheorized. And I think a lot of the research that I've tried to do over the last 30 or 40 years has tried to build up a bank of some of those theoretical ideas so that we can interrogate some of these changes better. We can plan better. We can look at the recommendations that people make more critically. Now, let me give you an example of how 
some of this might work and, and it's a question that's exercising my mind right now. In recent years, there's been a big increase in, in interest in physiotherapy in the biopsychosocial model. There's a lot of physios who are currently very excited about the biopsychosocial model, but nobody really is asking why this, why now? Now, I say nobody's asking. In the last couple of years, we've seen the emergence of a few, a handful of research articles that are starting to question whether physiotherapy is biopsychosocial or what its limitations might be for the profession, which is fantastic. But in the main, if you go online and you start doing a search of the biopsychosocial model, even if it's just in relation to things like chronic low back pain, there have been literally hundreds of articles produced that claim that physiotherapy is biopsychosocial now and that this biopsychosocial approach is a good one and that it works for physiotherapy. Now might be a good time to pause the recording and reflect on some of what Dave has been talking about. What are your thoughts on the biopsychosocial model in physiotherapy? Is it a core part of the curriculum in your department? And if so, why? Take a few minutes to consider these and any other questions that came up while listening. When you're ready, unpause the recording and continue with the podcast. So with this why this, why now question in my head, some of the things that come up in my mind are, first of all, to ask, well, if the biopsychosocial model is so good, why didn't we adopt it 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? Why is it only now that it's come into vogue? Remember that question, why this, why now? Well, why is the biopsychosocial model so popular now? Maybe physiotherapy was always biopsychosocial. Some people might argue that, particularly people who've been in the profession a long time. They might say, well, we've always considered the person's psyche and the person's social context. In which case, why are we making such a fuss about the biopsychosocial model today? Why is it that suddenly there's so much more claim to it, there's so much more research being produced, if physiotherapy has always been biopsychosocial? What's it doing for physiotherapy suddenly today that it wasn't doing 10, 20 or 30 years ago? Now, I don't think you can answer that question with just a new evidence-based practice study testing to see whether physios who claim to be biopsychosocial are more effective than those that aren't. You need something, you need to draw from other resources, resources like cultural studies, history, sociology, philosophy even perhaps. But then there's more questions that this uh, emergence of the BPS throws up. If physiotherapy is only now becoming biopsychosocial, what's changing? Pause the recording. Dave has suggested that if biopsychosocial approaches are coming into vogue now, something must be driving them. Can you think of any changes in the profession that may have led to the current interest in biopsychosocial approaches in practice? When you're ready, unpause and keep listening. So on the one hand, we could say that physio has always been biopsychosocial, in which case, why are we making such a fuss about it today? But maybe physiotherapy is changing, in which case, what's changing? Are we throwing out the old body as machine way of thinking in physiotherapy? Are we suddenly getting rid of all of those things that have been anchor points in the profession before? Because if we're now saying things like pain no longer reside within the body, within the tissues, and you hear people talking about using phrases like the tissues are not the issues anymore, 
And this is driving the shift toward away from, say, traditional passive therapies, hands-on manual techniques that claim to fix mechanical problems in the spine if we stick with low back pain. If we're now saying, though, that those were ineffective and the pain didn't reside in the tissues in the first place, this has massive implications for the entire basis upon which physiotherapy is taught and its scope of practice. Because if we are saying that pain no longer resides within the tissues, then why don't we just get rid of the anatomy and the physiology and the pathology and the biomechanics and kinesiology that has dominated the physiotherapy curriculum and scope for its entire history? Why don't we replace it with things that explore areas where we're thinking about pain residing, say, within the mind? Now, that might be areas like phenomenology or psychology and social studies. From what I've seen looking at changes to curricula and scopes of practice around the world, that's not really happening. There's a nod towards the biopsychosocial model, but we're still very much underpinning physiotherapy education and practice on the idea of the body as machine. And part of the reason why I think that is, is because the advocates for the biopsychosocial model, the people who claim that we are now biopsychosocial, haven't really told us where things like pain now reside. If it's not in the tissues, where is it? Because if they're saying that it's in the brain, well, that's really just another tissue. It's just another bodily tissue. They're not saying, for instance, that it's not within the physical domain at all, that it's in the experiential or the subjective domain, because that would be a complete rejection of the entire Western basis of medicine, and it would rely on us developing a deep study of existential and phenomenological philosophy and ideas of intentionality that come from um, German humanistic philosophies of the 20th century. Now, I'm absolutely not seeing that happen within the physio profession. So one, one of the things that we're facing at the moment is the question of what the biopsychosocial model is doing. Because on the one hand, we're claiming that we are now biopsychosocial and implying that there's been a radical transformation in the profession. But we're not jettisoning the biomechanical body. We might have shifted pain from the ligaments and discs and soft tissues around the spine and moved it up into the neurons and the synaptic clefts and other places in the brain, but that's just moving it from one tissue to another. We haven't really jettisoned the biomechanical body. And so really, what's different about the way we're thinking about physiotherapy now if it's supposedly biopsychosocial? So maybe the question about the BPS is not so much about whether it is relocating where illness and health reside within the body with its implications that massively transforming physiotherapy education and practice. Maybe it's less to do with a fundamental change to physiotherapy and more to do with the shifting political and social context in which healthcare is being practiced today. Maybe it's more a political move. Maybe physiotherapists want to sound more holistic without really changing anything. Pause the recording. What do you think about the argument that Dave is presenting? Is the shift towards a BPS model a political move? And if so, to what end? Why would we need this shift? Is it important to ask why? 
do we have the tools that are necessary to come to an understanding of the underlying reason for the supposed shift in the profession? When you've had a few minutes to reflect, unpause the recording and continue with the episode. And so if that's the case, how would we know? How would we know whether that's the reason why? Because if we don't have the tools to understand and analyse the way that professions work, um, and if we don't really have the sociological and cultural and philosophical tools to critique those things, how would we know whether really the adoption of the biopsychosocial model is a political move or it's actually a fundamental shift in the nature of physiotherapy? Now, these are not trivial questions because our entire education and practice basis is built around a solid idea of where we think that physiotherapy resides and the the traditional view about physiotherapy is it's very much strongly anchored to the idea of the body as a working machine. Now I think it's fair to say that most physios feel pretty ill-equipped to think culturally, historically, philosophically or sociologically about their profession. Their training is very it doesn't deal with any of those things in any depth at all. And so when it comes to going out and treating people's unstable shoulders, we're fine. But if it comes to questions about the nature of our practice and the way that we think and the kind of philosophies that underpin what we do, we start to get into more difficult territory. Now, some of you may know that in 2017, I wrote a book called The End of Physiotherapy. And what that book argued was that the idea of the body as machine has been a very powerful influence in the history of physiotherapy. And... That's not to say that it's necessarily been a bad influence, because it hasn't. It's been very important in establishing physiotherapy's legitimacy and its orthodoxy, forming alliances with the medical profession and other peers like nursing and midwifery and dentistry and psychology, other orthodox professions. It's established its legitimacy with the state, and that's meant that we've received tax money to fund and subsidise our training and our education and our, our work and our pay from the state. So the idea of that the body as a machine should be critiqued and thrown out of, of hand is, is wrong. It's a very, very powerful tool in the history of the profession. But it has also definitely limited our ability and our interest in areas like sociology and philosophy and other approaches to critical thinking that would have been really helpful to us right now when so much of healthcare is changing. COVID, the rise of consumerism, uh, increasing lifestyle illnesses, the digitization of everything, including healthcare, service rationing, people having more choice and more competition in the marketplace, people's reduced faith in authority figures, not just in healthcare, but in all spheres of life in the Western world. Growing social inequity, the difference between the haves and the have-nots. Increasing system complexity. I mean, the, the number of things that are now challenging physiotherapy to think differently about the world in the 21st century are really, really powerful. And the end of physiotherapy was an attempt to try and say, how did we arrive historically at these questions and these problems and at this dilemma that we face now about how to respond Earlier on this year, I published a new book called Physiotherapy Otherwise, and that looks at what sociology can tell us about ourselves as a profession and how we might respond to those changes. Now, I mentioned sociology. The end of physiotherapy, the book in 2017, drew on 
critical history primarily. Physiotherapy otherwise draws on critical sociology to explore the physiotherapy profession. And it's in a couple of parts. The first part looked at six different ways to understand the professions generally and also physiotherapy as a profession. So if you've uh, never understood what physiotherapy does in the world, the book might be in it. the first half of the book will be a good introduction for that. It talked about how the idea of professions bringing balance to society emerged in the 1930s and 40s with the idea of traits and characteristics of particular professions and that school of thought known as functionalism, that the function of the professions was to bring balance to society. We have illness, so we need doctors. We have ill-educated people, so we need teachers. This was the way that in the 1930s and 40s, people first conceived of the importance of the professions and why the professions had become established at all. But that idea started to become critiqued in the 1950s and 60s, particularly after the Second World War, when people, particularly working from a Marxist perspective, started asking questions about power and the way that the professions couldn't be understood necessarily as just benign and altruistic and service-oriented people, but were also people very much folded into the idea of the capitalist project, about the um, keeping people in work, about maintaining a kind of efficiency in the, uh, in the system itself to grow economic prosperity, and how the professions serviced that kind of state-based capitalistic model. And looking at capitalism that way, Marxists argued that that created a great deal of alienation and made wage slaves of all of us. And so those things are then talked about in the book. But then picking up from there, the book also talks about critical theory and how that addressed questions of power and gender and race and class and ability, physical ability, and how those things have critiqued the professions, how those disciplines have really heavily critiqued the claims of the professions to be altruistic and public-spirited since the 1960s. Now again, a lot of that literature doesn't appear in the physiotherapy curriculum. We're not exposed to it, we don't know it, but there is tons of it. There's also tons of material about from what is called the Neo-Weberian school. This is the school of Max Weber and the people who followed his work that looks instead not just about class and power and race and gender, but about the areas like prestige and social closure and the boundaries that professions built around themselves. Now, this is quite an important thing for this book. Uh, these ideas about prestige and social closure are important because, to some extent in the book, I argue that that's been a very important thing for physiotherapists. Their ability to close off certain physical therapies and deny them to other people so that they can protect them has been a very important thing in the history of the profession. And so I explained some of that social theory and how that works, not just for us, but for others too. There's a whole section in the book about interpersonal relationships, because in social theory, particularly about the professions, there's been a lot said about lay and professional relationships. So lay meaning lay people, everyday people, um, the uh, patients, um, the people we're supposed to serve, and the power differentials that exist between them and the way that language and symbolism and metaphors are important in, in shaping the relationship between the experts and the novices and those who know and those who don't, which is obviously a very contested area these days as a lot more people are looking for more personal voice and power. 
And then the latter part of that first section talks about then the move now into postmodernism, where there's a lot more interest in the complexity and ambiguity um, of healthcare and how it can't easily be mapped and theorised in the way that we had in the past. And the way that um, the professions are actually the effect or the result or the achievement of discourses circulating in society rather than the origin and the instigator of those things. So that's the first part of the book. Pause the recording. Think about the curriculum at your institution. Do your students explore some of the concepts that Dave is talking about here? Do you ask students to reflect on issues of power in the clinical or educational context? Or on the relationships they will have between other members of the profession, clinical colleagues and patients? Can you think of any points in the curriculum where these kinds of ideas might be inserted and discussed? When you're ready, unpause the recording and continue with the episode. And then the second part of the book looks at what this means for physiotherapy today. And in there I talk about the new what's called post-professional era. Now this phrase, post-professional era, is evident in lots of other places outside of healthcare, but you won't see that language used much in healthcare yet. But there is a ton of material now starting to come out about the impact of late capitalism and uh, the critique from the, from sociology of the claim by the professions to, to their goodness and expertise. Now, if we take late capitalism as an example, late capitalism refers to the fact that um, capitalism was always believed in the idea of unlimited growth. But of course, the project from the 1800s through to the present day of colonizing other territories to claim the land and to claim the people and to enslave in some cases those people and to steal the land so that we can take those resources and feed the engine of capitalism and keep um, the our economies growing and growing has seen countries like the UK and European countries and um, America and other developed world countries exploiting other people and other territories around the world for our advantage. Now, that's the early capitalist idea that unlimited growth could come not just from taking uh, and using the resources in your own country, but then when they become limited, then going exporting overseas and colonizing other territories to take them in as your own. But with a few exceptions, and there are some significant exceptions around the world, most of the Earth's resources have largely been tapped, have been um, um, depleted. They have started to become depleted and we're running out of ways in which we can continue to grow the economy and most of the evidence now points to the fact that gross domestic product around the world is stagnant and reducing. I'm going to come in here not to ask you to pause the recording but to insert a footnote. If you're wondering what unsustainable capitalism has to do with physiotherapy, you may be interested in the In Beta Environmental Physiotherapy Education episode created by Philip Marich, which is episode number 19 in the podcast feed. Back to Dave. So what late capitalism does is it looks for new markets. It looks for new ways in which um, economies can be generated that, that produce more money. And the way that ca late capitalism has worked is it's, it's seen the body, individual people, rather than territories overseas, as being the ideal place to exploit um, new resources. And so in the last 10, 20, 30 years, what we've seen is an increasing atomization of the body. The body carved up into different aspects 
of bodily functions and mental processes and relationships. And there's almost an app or an expert or some kind of news report or some kind of information for almost every single aspect of your life now has been atomized to the point you can improve everything. Pause the recording. What are the implications of this atomization of the body and of relationships, not only for the profession, but for society? How are physiotherapists subject to the same pressures, looking for opportunities to exploit new ideas and to potentially colonize patients' bodies? Do these ideas have any implications for our relationships with students, where we're looking for increasingly smaller units of measurement in terms of their learning? When you're ready, unpause and continue listening. And of course, nobody ever achieves this idea of optimal health, which is the new phrase that we use instead of talking about complete health. We talk about an unachievable goal of optimal health because optimal health is something we can always strive for but never achieve, but relies on us constantly searching to buy new products to improve our relationship with our parents, to improve our hamstring stretching, to improve that deadlift that we do at the gym, to improve our anger management, to improve our breath control, to improve almost absolutely anything that you can commodify and sell has become an enormous marketplace. And this is where late capitalism is concentrated. This obviously has massive implications for physiotherapists. And you can see it in the way that um, we are attempting ourselves to exploit new markets in things like exercise and health promotion and um, breathing control and all sorts of aspects that tr that haven't been part of traditional physiotherapy. So late capitalism is one major shift that's taking place affecting physiotherapy socially and culturally. The other one is the growing critique of the goodness and expertise that professions have claimed. And there's a ton of research in the book that explains where that comes from, that explains why we're now entering this post-professional era. Then the book goes on to talk about four responses that we can see in the physiotherapy world right now already. From doing nothing to what I've called a modern heritage approach, which is to try and go back to the best of the old world. That's the body as machine stuff, to reinforce the biomechanical, mechanistic ways of thinking about fixing people in the traditional old way of doing physiotherapy. The third way is to is called Renaissance physiotherapy, and that throws the baby out with the bathwater, rejects the body as machine entirely, and moves into a completely different space. Um, a much more humanistic, much more subjective, intersubjective way of thinking about practice forgets the biomechanics of, of health and focuses on a very different understanding of healthcare. And then the fourth one is the hybrid physiotherapy that most people would probably know, into which things like the biopsychosocial model sit. So the book talks about those things and then goes on to explain what's wrong with each of these and propose some alternatives. Now, some of the assumptions that I make in arguing for the alternatives to these approaches are that, first of all, the physical therapies are going to be vital for human flourishing and planetary health. I have absolutely no doubt that those therapies that have existed forever throughout the entirety of human history will still be relevant in 50, 100, 200 years' time, as will the skills and the abilities that you as a physiotherapist already have. But... I do believe that the professions, professions like physiotherapy and psychology and nursing and dentistry and nutrition, 
will increasingly be decentered in people's experiences of healthcare. Now, what that means is people will increasingly find other avenues to achieve the healthcare that previously they had very limited access to one or two people, a doctor, a nurse, and a physio, and that was all they could have. Now, and increasingly, they'll have more and more choice. I also believe that decent, compassionate, and socially just healthcare will never be realised by the state or the market. Now, what this means is moving away from the idea of state control over things like the physical therapies, but at the same time not leaving this to the vagaries of the market where you can have capitalist exploitation of every aspect and social justice issues and access to things like the physical therapies become increasingly uh, difficult for those people who do not have the economic resources to receive them. My, one of my fourth basic assumptions in the book is that the ethical responsibility of all professions is that they create the conditions of their own demise. So it, we should not be asking how we can best preserve the good interest of the physiotherapy profession. We should be asking how we can get our skills and abilities and the physical therapies into the most people's hands in the best way possible. Pause the recording. How do you feel about this point that Dave makes? That the demise of the profession is not the central question we should be asking, but rather that we look for alternatives that spread the physical therapies more broadly, even if that leads directly to the demise of the profession. What would this mean for physiotherapy education? Instead of asking what needs to be added and expanded in the profession, we could ask instead what needs to be removed. When you're ready, unpause and continue listening. When the pressures of maintaining a professional enclosure are removed, as I hope they will be, I hope that in a sense, the physical therapies become democratized, become available to people more openly than they are today, then the latent potential of the physical therapies will literally erupt. And so, in towards the end of the book, Physiotherapy Otherwise, the alternatives that I propose are, first of all, that we re-enchant the physical therapies themselves. The physical therapies are important to people, I think, because they have what... Uh, Deleuze, a French philosopher, calls intensities at the heart of them that mean that they throb with life. It doesn't matter what context, what situation, what era in the history of humankind we have lived in, the physical therapies have always been a critical part of people's lives. There must be something about them that has a heat of, a, of an inferno that makes people use them and, f and feel, them, feel the need for them and regenerate them and share them. And that's one of the things I think that we need to ourselves as physical therapists start looking at. We should already, I think, be hollowing out physiotherapy. And what I mean by that is looking at those things that in the next 5, 10, 15 years can and almost certainly will be taken away by other people or other entities, machines, robots, healthcare assistants, other professions... And taking those things away from our model of what physiotherapy is and seeing what remains as the core of the profession. I think we should be de-schooling physiotherapy in the classic idea of Ivan Illich and that we should be looking to develop what I've called vernacular physiotherapy, physiotherapy in its place. It cannot be 
that you have the same kind of ideas of the practice of the physical therapies in Mumbai as you do in Manchester. It makes no sense and yet of course that's the standard model of physiotherapy that is the same for everyone around the world. Pause the recording. What would a vernacular physiotherapy look like in your local context? How would the unique culture, language, social norms and geography of your region affect physiotherapy? How would this affect physiotherapy education in your context? Should physiotherapy education in Mumbai look different to physiotherapy education in Manchester? When you're ready, unpause the recording and keep listening. And so the fundamental point that I try to make in the book is the idea of returning physiotherapy to the commons. Going back to that idea of the enclosures of what professions have done, I give the example of the enclosures in Britain in the 16th and 17th century. People used to have common land. You could graze your sheep, you could gather wood, you could commu communicate with people, You could have, there, were, there were village centres and squares that were all common and open to people. And then with the advent of capitalism, rich landowners put fences and walls around those plots of land, denied people access to them, and then sold them. And that was a very early structure in the principle of capitalism. And the example that I give in the book is that that's to some extent what the professions did in the 19th century, where they carved out bits of healthcare for their own. And physiotherapy is as guilty of that as anyone. So what I'm talking about here is the necessity of physiotherapy giving the physical therapies away, giving them back. Now, not allowing, just allowing somebody to take them, not just giving them to another profession or giving them to the open market or just walking away, but actively generating passion and intensity for the physical therapies, but not trying themselves to contain and control and regulate and limit. And so physiotherapy otherwise is quite a radical and challenging book. Um, but I want to go back to the beginning and say to this point about why this, why now. These are the conclusions that I've arrived at in doing the work that I've done over the years and reading these historical and social theories. I hope that by introducing those theories into the book, not only does it explain the argument I make towards the end of the book, but also opens the possibility for a thousand other studies that could emerge from it. I hope it, they're a springboard for students um, to do their own work. There's a huge opportunity for our students to explore more about the history, culture, sociology and philosophy of physiotherapy. And in doing that to shape the profession's future. I think these are viable alternatives to the kind of systematic reviews of the efficacy of hamstring stretching or another RCT showing that chest clapping is sometimes helpful. We've got plenty of studies like that now. The kind of study I'm talking about wouldn't require ethics approval. It can be done anywhere at any time. It's suitable for everyone from doing small undergraduate projects up to massive PhD theses. And there's an enormous body of literature and methods to draw on already out there in sociology and philosophy and history. And this is virgin territory for physiotherapists. So I really hope that in talking through this guided reflection and talking through this question of post-professional healthcare, that this has been useful for you and interesting. I really hope that you enjoy the 2022 in beta unconference. I'm sorry I can't be there. 
I'll be in uh, northern Norway um, doing some teaching with Philip Marich, University of Tromsø, and some uh, CPN colleagues. But I really hope that you have a wonderful time and I look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you.